The first few weeks of school are a wonderful, stressful time of the year. We get to know our new students, we get procedures and things all set up. Also, we test the students a lot. Wait, what? Yeah, we know it's coming, the first set of assessments for the school year. Those tests are used in our evaluations, yay, and also help us figure out how to group our students and make plans for the school year. But they can also be used to help us make big improvements for our students, even getting students on grade level who are well below at the beginning of the year. Let's talk about how. Before we get started on that topic, though, I want to ask you, do you feel confident in your progress monitoring techniques? I know a lot of teachers who just, they don't feel like they ever really got started on the right foot with progress monitoring. They've always just felt at least a step or maybe two or 10 behind. That's why I made my five steps to getting started with progress monitoring guide. Here, I give simple, actionable steps to get you confidently on your way to data tracking and to high-quality progress monitoring. I've included a few observation and data tracking sheets to just get you started. If you're like so many of my friends, this guide can get you confidently progress monitoring this week. To get a hold of my guide, check out the link in the show notes or head over to Instagram and click on the link in my bio or send me a DM. I'd be glad to send you the link directly. Either way, grab that guide so that whenever you need that progress monitoring data, it's ready for you. Hi, I'm Jessica Curtis of Teaching Struggling Learners. I'm a boy mom and a veteran teacher. You're listening to the Reaching Struggling Learners podcast, where we talk all about helping students succeed academically, socially, and behaviorally. Thank you so much for tuning in. Picture it. You have your classroom all set up, your class roster in time to actually label all the things, and the school bought two extra copiers over the summer so that you're good to go. Yeah, it's a fantasy, but a girl can dream, can't she? We all know the beginning of school is just super stressful. And if you're like me, it feels like we just stinking left from the craziest year ever. But there is one thing that we can count on when we get back into all of the things. Our students are going to get hit with that beginning of the school year testing. That's kind of like the official start to the race in a lot of schools. That testing is the starting point, off which all the growth that students make all year is based. So yeah, it really is important when you're looking at it that way, even if it is a pain in the butt uh, to do it just those first few weeks of school. First of all, let's take a minute to realize that the summer slide is a thing. And it's going to be reflected in the first test. We all talk about it. We know that the kids are going to do poorly or not as well, maybe not poorly, but they're not going to do as well as they could the first few weeks of school. So before you look at that first set of data, keep that in mind that it really isn't as bad as it looks right there. 
the students are more capable than it shows on that first printout, right? But we still, we always have a lot of work to do to get them where we want them to be. But keep in mind that that first assessment isn't as accurate a picture as we sometimes think of it, okay? So now that we got that, you know, panic-reducing piece of information out of the way, how the heck do we use the information the universal screeners give us? Way too often, we get that data, we marvel at how low our students are, make some quick plans to start a little lower than we thought, lower our expectations, and get moving. The next time we look at that data will be after the next session of testing is complete, right? When we start comparing them up. But here's the thing. I'm going to strongly suggest that you take a second look at that data and compare it to what your kids were able to do at the end of last school year. You know, before they forgot how to human over the summer, right? You see, when we look at what they were able to do, and they will be able to do pretty quickly again, then it gives us a better idea for the growth that we should expect our kids to make this school year. The kids have a lot of skills that they're just, they're rusty on from not using them in the summer, but that doesn't mean that they've lost them completely. So before you, you know, you throw your expectations to the wind and you take a deep breath, Take a look at what the kids were able to do in that last assessment and compare it to what you see they did, you know, just now right after summer break, you know, while they're still, you know, getting off that candy high. Then use both those data points and make a choice about what quick review is needed, right? Because, you know, you got to, you got to bring them up to speed, but figure out between those two data points, what students need the most intensive support to get, help them get on grade level in the most timely manner possible. Once you've compared that data, figure out what students need the highest amount of support. Take a look at the uh, information that both of those assessments give. Many universal screeners give a list of benchmarks, you know, the standard stuff, that the student needs to master to meet the next level of skills. Take a look at the most basic skills that are listed. And I never just believe what the, what the stinking printout says. I'm sorry, I, it's not accurate. There's no way in the world that it's going to give you all the information you need. But use that as a jumping off point to kind of figure out what are the most basic skills, delve a little bit deeper into it to figure out, are there more basic skills to le- that lead to that skill that the student is weak in? All right, so I, just, I gotta give an example because that's not gonna make any sense to, in my head if I leave it at that. So if a student's struggling to blend letter sounds to make words, does the student know all their letter sounds fluently? Are they able to blend sounds, you know, without letters to make words, going back to those phonemic awareness things? Those more basic skills, when they're weak or missing, make all the more advanced skills more difficult. And that's going to show up on those tests. Once you've figured out the most basic skill that's weak, you know the point where you need to start your interventions. 
Yep, I hear you, upper grades teachers. You, you're gonna you're gonna throttle me. How are you gonna work on phonemic awareness when the students clearly need to work on comprehension? I get you. I hear you. But here's the thing: all the practice in the world on comprehension strategies isn't going to work if the student can't read fluently. All the fluency practice in the world is going to give very little results if the student can't decode. And decoding practice is only effective when students have the phonemic and phonological awareness skills that they need. No matter what age or grade the student is in, we have to meet them where, we, where they are to make true progress. If we just throw our, our, our expectations up real high to comprehension when they can't blend, they're just going to be frustrated. They're not going to make the progress that we know that they can, that they're capable of. So after we know where we're starting for all our students, take a look at the students who need the interventions and try to group them so that they have similar interventions. Because, you know, we only have a limited amount of time. We have to get the most out of that time that we do have. All the students who need help on phonemic awareness or phonics should be grouped so that lesson plans and interventions can be provided appropriately. Weekly or bi-weekly progress checks help us to see if the skills we're teaching are making an impact. And if the student isn't making progress, clearly a change-up is needed. There's no point in making a student complete an intervention just to say we did it. If the student isn't making progress, change up what you're doing. If we know it isn't going to work, stop wasting time and find something else that will or try something else. Students deserve that. And so do we as teachers. We deserve to see our students make big progress. We deserve to show that the hard work that we put into our students pays off. I hate to say it, but there have been several times in the last few years that I've heard teachers say, sure, I'll try this intervention, but I know it's not going to work. And I look at them and I say, why are you wasting your time? And they tell me, well, I got to have the data. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what this is about. Don't start a plan that you know is destined to fail. Don't waste your own time like that. Come up with something that you think has a chance of working and go with that. So obviously, once you have your basic skills identified, groupings, your idea on what you want to do, you know, the plan that you know, you maybe you don't know if it's going to work 100%, but at least it's worth trying. You think it's it, it has potential, right? It's time to get started progress monitoring. For more on how to get started, check out the five steps to getting started with progress monitoring guide. I've linked it in the show notes. You can find it by going to my website, teachingstrugglinglearners.com, or find me on Instagram at teachingstrugglinglearners. Click the link in my bio and you'll find it there. Next week, we will talk about how you can use the universal screener data to make goals for your students and your teaching. Until next time, may your coffee be strong, your summer long, and your m weather amazing. Bye.